The following podcast is sponsored by Structure Tech. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking all things houses, home inspections, and anything else that's rattling around in our heads. On today's episode, we're talking with Jeremiah Bros, owner of Energy Advantage Roof and Solar Services based out in Denver. Jeremiah originally grew up in Minnesota. He was good friends with Ruben's brother and uh, also Ruben when they were younger. Ended up out in Colorado and he started this combination roof replacement company as well as a solar installation company. And we had a wide ranging conversation. It wound around a little bit, but we touched on sizing solar, the metal roof product that they're offering, some of the warranties they've been able to put together with the products they're installing. And uh, we've even touched on a, a little bit as it pertains to energy tax credits and manufacturer's warranties and those types of things. I hope you enjoy Jeremiah's energy. It was fun to get to know him and get a little education on solar. Enjoy. So Jeremiah, tell me the name of your company. What exactly do you guys do? Yeah, right. That's such a great question. We're still figuring it out. So it's Jeremiah Bros and the company is Energy Advantage Roofing and Solar. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I have a lot of experience in failure. I started this one up to sell solar to roofing companies. So in Colorado, it's a heavy, heavy hail state. In a heavy hail state such as Colorado, what I recognize is do all these re-roofs over and over again, every seven to 10 years, et cetera. And people are selling the same product over and over again putting back what it was because that's what the insurance company wants. That's what the owners don't know and don't ruffle the feathers. There's really no value add. Solar was fairly, is fairly still kind of new, but was up and coming. And I'm like, look, every time we re-roof a house, we should be selling solar. We should be selling solar. We should be doing renewable energy. At the time, there's this IT, there's still an ITC, federal tax credit of 26%. But at the time you could look at overlapping roofing components with solar components to get an ITC on both. So mixing federal tax credit with insurance proceeds, packaging a better package for consumers was the MO of the company. Okay, very good. So it sounds like you do more solar than other types of work. Is, is that correct? Yes. Yes, that's correct, Bill. So we, we do our own installs of solar and we focus on, on really keeping our crews busy and kilowatts produced per week. So we want to just per crew, we want to average 40 to 45 kilowatts of production per week. And then we have a sales division that focuses on just backfilling, you know, each quarter, each month ahead of time. The anomaly of energy advantage is we also do roofing. So from shingles to steel, to coatings, to TPO, you name it. And when a storm hits in Colorado, then we'll move some of our assets to focus on the storm, gather a bunch of roof contracts, kind of fulfill those while installing solar on top of those customers' roofs as well. Okay. Ruben, can you take a second and just set up the relationship here? Yeah. This why are we having person. a Colorado guy come on a Minnesota yeah, home inspection yeah. podcast? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Go to Minnesota. Well, yeah. Jeremiah and I go way back. Jeremiah and my brother, who's two years younger than me, they were really good friends in high school. But all of my friends were friends with my brother and all of his friends were friends with me. I mean, we were pretty close. We, we kind of had the same circles. So by extension, Jeremiah and I were good friends in high school. We have got some crazy stories. Bill, before you jumped on today, we were just chatting about some funny stuff. Tessa may have learned a thing or two about me that I wouldn't have shared otherwise. 
yeah, we we go back. We got uh, we got in a lot of trouble together growing up. We were just getting together recently over Christmas. Jeremiah and his daughters were over at my parents' house, and it was you know we're just catching up on everything, and we were talking about what he does, and I was just fascinated at all of the solar work they're doing and the incentives that homeowners have to put the stuff in. By the time I was done, just asking Jeremiah questions about what he does, I was ready to buy a solar roof from him. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is amazing what you guys do. And I'm not an easy sell. I'm, I'm a skeptic, but I couldn't punch any holes in what it is that he's doing. And I just thought, you know what? He's not a local vendor. We got, you know, I was thinking it'd be kind of cool to get somebody local on here to talk about this too, but who cares? The concept is there. So I thought, let, let's get Jeremiah on here and have him explain how this whole solar thing is working and all the changes that are happening to it. And here we are today. I did a lot of research on solar probably seven or eight years ago because I was thinking maybe we should do this. And I, I learned a little bit about the process, but Jeremiah, I want you to explain to everybody how the process works. I know there's, is it tax incentives or whatever? The energy company will pay for your solar over time is what I came to learn. Then I also learned there were different manufacturers that were reimbursed at different rates. Like if you bought this panel, you got 30 cents. If you bought that panel, you got 50 cents. And I thought that was fascinating. And there were, seemed like there were different levels of not not quality, but source from different areas. One was from China, one was from Oregon, and one was from Hibbing, Minnesota, of all places. As you can imagine, in Minnesota, the one from Hibbing got reimbursed at the highest rate. But I also understood that when the pool of money that's set aside for solar in a given year is done, your project rolls to the next year. And maybe that's not true any longer, but that's the way it was when I was when I was researching. So if I'm a homeowner, what does the process look like to become part of the power grid? Cool. No, that's a great question. And something as, you know, kind of new and not quite a commodity yet as solar can be really confusing to find out where to start. So first on the federal level, the federal level has what's called an investment tax credit. And right now, currently, as long as you pay in federal taxes, you have what's called what we call tax appetite. They'll reimburse you 26% as a credit, as a federal credit, right? So you might get that back in a check, or if you're a small business owner, you might be able to write that off or get that reduced on your tax liability. Start there on the federal. Then you go to the state level. So Minnesota, the state might have a REC, a renewable energy credit. It varies per state, it varies per county, and it varies per city. And then you have energy companies. <laughs> like here in Colorado, we have you know probably four or five major different energy companies, in, in which Excel is our biggest here in Colorado, which I assume probably Excel is probably the biggest there. So yeah. there might be similar RECs than with Excel. We're not seeing manufacturer rebates anymore, partially because probably the difference between seven years ago to now is price reduction. The price has dropped so much and the wattage per module per panel has increased. So when I started in the industry in 2017, the highest wattage panel I could purchase was a 260 watts. Well, now we're installing 400 watts. We even have somewhere at like 420 watts 
per panel per project. So what's cool is I think about it this way, this way I explain to homeowners is if you're paying $100 to the energy company, okay, you're renting your energy and you're kind of at the whim of two things. One is if the energy company decides to increase rates, which I don't know if Excel is, has in Minnesota has moved to peak hour rates. So here in Colorado, between instead of 12 cents a kilowatt hour straight through, it's now like two cents and then seven cents. And then from two to eight, it goes like 23 cents. Mm. So we're going to start we're going to start to see people's bills jump up 130%. So right now because of the price per modules, the tax incentives and financing. So now we're getting loans to customers at 25 years at a percent, one and a half percent. It's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. If your bill is a hundred dollars, instead of renting the energy, we can get you into a loan where you own your power, you own the solar for a hundred dollars. So wait, Jeremiah, let me, let me just get clear on some of this stuff. You had mentioned the different wattages, but what does that mean? I mean, you talk about 250 watts, 400 watts. So how many watts is an average house going to need just, sure. just to run it so that you're basically, quote unquote, off the grid so you can do most of your work with your own panels? What would that look like? Sure. If your home is 2,500 square feet, let's say we'll start there. You're probably a seven kilowatt system, 3,000 square feet, 3,200. You're probably an eight kilowatt system. That's what we see on average. And kilowatt is a thousand watts. So divide yeah. that 7,000 by 400. And that's how many panels you would need. So essentially think about it this way. It used to be where 10 panels would get you a 2.6 kilowatt. Now 10 panels get you a four kilowatt. Okay. So it's about power production per space yep. of the home. You're producing more energy in the space that you have available. And how big is a panel? So they go 60 cell, 72 cell, 96 cell. 60 cell is probably like four and a half by three and a half or four oh. and a half, three, four by three. I was assuming it would be about a four by eight sheet. Yeah. That's much smaller no, than I quite. thought. Okay. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, we got to lunk them up ladders and, and, you know, bring them up one at a time and, and then commercial, some commercial modules get larger. So how many panels are you going to put on a house? Is there going to be enough roof surface to put all those panels up? So I'll tell you kind of the process of what we do. And I may have asked Ruben for his energy bill too, because I think we were going to see about just installing a bunch of solar in Minnesota. His is nothing because he, he regulates the electricity in his house. His poor kids, they only get to use electricity for four hours a day or so. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're back there on a bike making their electricity. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm I'm gonna be honest. I've got a broken hot tub right now. My water outside in the dead of winter is at 80 degrees and it has been 80 all week. I think I got a problem somewhere, but I think the heater has been on nonstop for the last several days. And I think my electric meter is spinning right now. I just yeah. have not had time to fix it. And I can't shut it off because if I do, the water will freeze. I'm just like, what do I do? Uh-oh. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That was a side note. We'll hook you up. I'll hook you up. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. We'll do some solar, a little backup battery. We'll cut it out. Yeah. Good. Yes. So if it's 8,000 watts and we have a 400 panel, it's 20 panels. And um, you could fit that on an average roof. Yeah. Some are, it's probably like two arrays. An, okay. an array is like how panels all fit together. You know, when we look at roofs, there's kind of two things that we look at. One, the south facing azimuth is is the best. So the south south facing slope is always the best. And then in Colorado, at least the West is second best because of that peak hour rate from two to eight paying is the most expensive electricity you're going to buy. So if you produce during those hours, 
that's always the best. So if we can always fit on two azimuths, your south and your west, that's usually the best candidate for solar. We never do north because it just, it doesn't produce well. And we'll do, we'll do east sometimes as the third option. But when we look at your energy bill, first we look at what's called your kilowatt hours, which is different than kilowatts. A lot of people don't realize, but the kilowatt hours is actually what you use is the demand. Kilowatts is production, uh, how you actually produce it. So when we determine your kilowatt hours that you use, you know, our job is to size a system that works for what you've used over the last 12 months, but then also come in and educate you about how to reduce demand even lower. LED light bulbs, potentially attic insulation or roof ventilation for summertime and maybe energy efficient appliances. That's our energy audit. Because I believe, you know, the federal government, for example, with the tax credit, and I think we're going to see some more tax credits. There's this like top down approach to getting solar to be more popular and renewable energy, right? But it's just taking a lot of time. People aren't always bought into it. I believe in this kind of ground up approach of just educating the consumer in their home of what they can do to contribute right? What they can do to contribute and some of the small stuff. And I think with starting there, then they can take on some of the burden of the responsibility to have a lower demand. And then we can size the appropriate system almost as a partnership of how to achieve the outcome versus just saying like, Hey, you use a lot of energy. So I'm going to give you a big system and I'm going to make a lot of money out of it. You know, coming from the, you know, background in like energy efficiency, think about it in terms of like, compare your house to a car, you're driving down the road, it's middle winter, you've got your windows rolled down and you're freezing your butt off. You wouldn't just go put a bigger heater in your car. You would roll up your windows first, right? And you have this big old leaky house, no insulation. You know, it's not very airtight. You know, the first thing you should do is try and button up the building envelope, air seal it, insulate it, add proper ventilation. Then you can size for solar panels that meet the needs. Sure. Yep, that's exactly right. We have a product on the commercial side too that's being developed from a company out here in Colorado called Maplewell Energy. And it governs demand of commercial property. So in commercial buildings, the way electricity works, you have this like you have this electricity trickle that comes in, but then when you turn on all the lights or the freezers or whatever, it surges the energy. And the grid or where it's pulling energy from doesn't have enough. So it has to outsource that energy and it's called a demand charge. So if the bill is $5,000 a month, typically 50 to 60% of that bill is demand. Mm. So we have a system that automates uh, how it sets up through 15 minute increments to lower the demand. So it's almost like just by this computer communicating with all other facets of the building, it's telling the building to roll up its windows. It can can determine what's coming down the pipe for weather and then how that's going to dictate the difference of the HVAC system, et cetera. And then it creates the energy production off of that. That's wild. This is a this is like a computer system that gets installed when you put the solar panels yeah. in a house. Yeah, we're installing the first one here in Colorado. Oh. We're, we're doing a large industrial project, and part of it is we're we're doing some cool things on the solar side. But part of it is like I look, I go, look, we have to make some incremental changes on how we're using the energy before we start producing more energy. You know, all of these car companies have made a commitment to go 100% EV, right? Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) if everybody got an EV or electric vehicle right now and put a charge station on and they don't have solar, where's that power coming from? (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of energy. Yeah, and they're burning more coal and the grid does not have the capacity to have all this increased power. So who's thinking about that? That's so fascinating. So that's a a type of computer system that you're using in commercial, but are you going to be installing them in residential systems too? They're too expensive right now. Yeah, it's too expensive. On the residential side, there is some, some, we do have some smaller products, like a hundred bucks a pop that goes into the main control panel 
and then you hook up like eight, I don't even know what they're called. Anyways, it shows like a granular usage per breaker. And then it tells you on your app where you have like what's called load vampires. So it might be a, an out-of-date appliance. Ruben, don't you have something like that already installed? Of in course your he does. Yeah. I do. I've got the, the Sense Energy Monitor installed in my main electric panel. You know about those, Jeremiah? We, the product we have here is called View from Emporia. Yeah, it would say, it would flash Ruben's like hot tub. Bing, bing, bing. Wow. Yes. One question I was going to ask you. So then what's the average cost for a homeowner then to purchase a system and install on their roof? If, you know, if they're doing like 17 to 20 panels after all these tax incentives and, 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 you know, utility rebates and stuff, like what's the average cost? Yeah. What's, yeah. what's the whole breakdown on it? Like sell us on it. If you, if I yeah. want to get one from you, like, why should I? Yeah, exactly. Why should you? So like, what's your energy bill, Tessa? Ooh, you know what? I moved into a new place right now and I don't know yet. We'll we'll use mine. It's about a hundred bucks a month for electricity on average. Here you go. I'll charge you that. Okay. hundred bucks for 25 years. (laughs) Wait a minute. You just take what what we're using and then kind of reverse engineer how it's going to get paid back. Sure, of course. So there's there's two components to that. One, we do our own installs. The only the only piece we're missing, which we're almost getting there, is developing our own product. Fully 100% integrated company. So there's not a lot of variables that tell us what we can't charge. Do you have LED lighting in all of your in your entire house? Pretty close. Oh, okay. I'm pretty close. That's Working towards close, it. Right? And then I'd look at your attic insulation. I'd look at your roof ventilation. I would look at some of the stuff because I could probably shave some of that commitment down. Right, that energy side demand down. So we we sell what's called Solaria panels. They're a, a premium panel in the marketplace. I'll tell you number one reason that we're getting to that's going to make energy advantage different than everything else out there. One is we'll have have a module, so Solaria, backed up with a battery, backed up with our labor install for 25 years. You ain't, you ain't got to touch nothing. Okay. Wow. Well, we'll give you some service components, et cetera. Two is I'm working on a deal right now for the very first biodegradable battery. Mm. Yeah. Look at it. It's a product called graphene, graphene battery. You're going to start to see some of the stuff come out. It can do 1 million charges. The battery can last 114 years on average. I just give people a 25 year warranty because when I tell them 114 years, they don't believe it. And I'm like, great. We don't even need to talk about it. Wow. <laughs> so now think about this. I don't know if you guys have hail or storm damage up top, but oh, yeah. your, your roof and your asphalt shingles holds a lot of your heat. Bad ventilation holds a lot of your heat in your summertime. Your electricity rates are going to be highest come summertime. Typically, it's gas come wintertime. So on your roof, when you get hit with hail and you got that insurance proceeds, instead of replacing your shingles, we're going to put what's called stone-coated steel on top. We're not tearing off any more shingles because 6% of all landfills nationwide is what? Asphalt shingles. Isn't that crazy? Asphalt shingles, right? It makes sense. It's like every two years, people are tearing their roofs off. Oh my gosh. And these shingles are supposed to be lasting 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. They're getting replaced on average every seven to 10 years. Roofers are having a heyday. Shingle manufacturers are printing money and insurance companies, they'll make their money back. Like their algorithms work. Who's getting stuck with the bag? The homeowners, right? In the in the storm-driven area and our landfills. So check out our website, yourenergyadvantage.com. But you'll see the videos where we screw in stone-coated steel over the shingles. We get it passed by your municipalities, HOAs, et cetera. When we put this product on, it's, it's a 26-gauge steel that's warranted by the manufacturer up to three-inch size hail. You'll never need a new roof again. The hmm. difference between asphalt and steel is the steel will repel the UV rays. Mm. What does asphalt do? It absorbs it. Sure. Now you have a true cool roof that's properly ventilated, and then we put solar on top. So now, why energy advantage? We have a 25-year solid roof, battery, solar, labor product, and your house is now energy efficient. Question for the building scientist. I heard you say that your roof will be cooler with proper ventilation in the summer. 
But isn't the attic space the same temperature as the exterior, as the roof in the summer, if it's all done right? There shouldn't be this huge variable, right? If it's done right, it should be a seven to 10 degree difference. I'll tell you from experience, I have never found that in my life. If, <laughs> yeah. it's, if it's 70 degrees outside and the sun is shining, that attic is going to be 100 degrees. Yeah. I mean, it's going to yeah. be really, really hot. Right. And so should the roof be 100 degrees. The roof yeah. in the attic should equal temperature. Think about it this way. When we do a warranty claim on a roof, one of the quickest ways for a shingle manufacturer to deny the warranty claim is improper ventilation of the attic cavity. Mm-hmm. Because on average, you know, Colorado is fairly dry climate, right? And for 70, 90 degrees, whatever it feels like 70, in the attic, it's 130 degrees. Mm-hmm. So what happens then is it literally blisters, it's called heat blisters, but it almost boils this asphalt and it pops these blisters all over, right? And then compromises the shingles. So on the outside, Outside to touch, if it's 90 degrees, right? Those shingles aren't, they might be like a hundred. They might be right close to touch because that asphalt holds the heat, but they're not 130 degrees. Your attic cavity, if not properly ventilated, is definitely hotter than the ambient temperature of outside. Now steel, you touch it at hundred degrees and it's cool. It holds no heat, right? It's got 11 different coatings like polymers and epoxies and, and heat retarding chips and yeah, and it's 100% recyclable. It's 100% recyclable. So again, the whole the whole mantra of like when you think about eco-friendly building, and I, I don't, and I'm not like lead certified or anything like this, but I think about this stuff. I go, where does this product go? Where does our waste go? What's happening to it? And and are we a recycling the product? And are we reusing the product? right? That can be done. But that holistic thought process isn't something that I think a lot of people really take into consideration. They want whatever they want to be on the packaging to make me, the consumer, feel good about making that decision. But at the end of the day, what is the carbon footprint or the impact of that material being sourced from beginning to end? And by the time it breaks down and it's no longer whatever material it was. I think most contractors don't seek it as a viable option to educate the end user. You know, most small businesses, let's say, are trying to make it, especially in some of the years that we've had. It's just been really tough. So what I've seen is just like, don't ruffle the feathers, right? If, if we can make money, if we can feed today, if we can just survive today, if we can make this work now, if we can whatever, right? There's really no no thought beyond just surviving right now. And I think we're seeing that more than ever. You offer a 25-year warranty for the metal, the batteries, the solar panels, knowing that at least the battery components will go much longer. The panels themselves, how long will the cells last? So with Solaria, 25 years. We get a a 25-year product backup warranty from our manufacturer. They're the only manufacturer out there that we work with that offer that. That's why they're our premium panel. We, we back that. We back their product with a labor warranty that matches it. So that's our contribution to the system. There's another component, what's called an inverter. An inverter is like a fairly expensive component. These inverters typically only go 15-year warranties. I'm trying to negotiate to get them back up 25. We may just have to honor that piece as well. Home Depot, this may have been a while ago, but Home Depot did some sort of study where they make on average $125,000 per customer who comes in their store right? Per lifetime. So it's not, it's not the $3 bolts that they buy today, but it's holding that customer for a lifetime. Sure. Two questions for you. One is, can the solar panels themselves get damaged from the hail storms that come through? And how often does that happen? 
And then my second question is, how often do you have to like beef up the framing in an attic to support the new steel roof that's on top of the original asphalt roofing and the solar panels themselves? That's a great question. So the first part of the question, yes, some some modules can get damaged. We've had areas in Colorado at four and a half inch size diameter hail. (laughs) We've had some hail go through your attic cavity into your living room. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, and in Texas and Wiley, Texas, I think two or three years ago, there was a record eight inch hail. Everything's Um, bigger in Texas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Especially the deductible. Yeah. Yeah. So it's getting bigger. And when that happens, you know, yeah, it, it made damaged panels. Good thing is insurance pays for it. Your panels though, always last better up to hail than any shingle and probably metal. Partially is because of the glass, the thickness of it. And then second one's like the, what's called coefficient of friction. Because it's so smooth, it doesn't have an area to grip that ice because that ice isn't perfectly round when it comes down, doesn't have an area to grip that ice. So when that ice hits shingles or, or something that it can grip, that's when it tears part of that away. Interesting. What was your second question again? Beefing oh, up the roof. Uh, yeah, the you have to framing. beef up the framing, yeah. So, so our steel comes in four foot sections by 14 inches and it's lighter than asphalt shingles. Really? So really no need to beef no. up anything. Nope. Okay. No, the only time we send in a structural engineer is for tile to determine, I think it's like the snow load per square foot or square inch. Um, Cause we do have some heavy snow loads sometimes in Colorado. That's surprising. I would think that you, you would need to do a lot more like additional support for this new nope. roof type and solar panels. <laughs> no, I mean, there's some differences in building code between different counties. Some building code like Denver requires decking to be half inch or, or seven sixteenths. Some counties like in Colorado Springs, they got away with a quarter inch. What? Really? Quarter inch roof decking? Yeah. So it's like quarter inch or five sixteenths. Yeah. Yeah. Can't so even imagine that. <laughs> well, you see these slow, you, you know, you see these slopes down there, right? And then yeah. we get in, then we tear this away. We got guys stepping through decking and I'm like, hold oh, on. <gasps> Gosh, there's no snow load in Colorado Springs. Well, I don't, I don't know about the snow load, but, but as far as like the building code of what was when we tear up roofs, we were seeing decking at a quarter inch. Interesting. When it comes to metal, you put metal roofing on, what does that do? I mean, does the snow slide right off that? Or will it accumulate the same as it would on shingles? So definitely check out our website so you can see what stone coated steel is. Cause I, cause when you see that, you're like, okay, I get it. It looks like shingles. If we put on, which we do also install what's called standing seam metal. And those are just ribbed, ribbed joints that come together like this and they go straight down. Yeah. Snow definitely slides off some of that stuff. We would, we would stagger snow guards into okay. a product like that. To go back to your original question about the rafters too, sometimes when we do what's called a batten system on top of the shingles, we put a little two by two batten, sometimes elevated, sometimes not. That batten actually supports between the between the rafters on the top side because now we have elevated batten up every 12 inches. So when you have these issues like an improper building or a quarter inch decking in Colorado Springs, we can actually make that roof stronger. And those battens would be installed perpendicular to the joists. You got it. Or, or That's what rafters, I, was just I should ask. say. Okay, so the battens are horizontally installed. So does that prevent the airflow between the two roofing materials? Like, if you have those battens horizontal, like, do you still get airflow? Are you looking for airflow in between the steel coated and the asphalt? No, just okay. That's just installed directly on top, and then you still have the added bit. Yeah, because remember, no water gets in. Well, and I suppose when we think about the whole purpose of airflow is you're trying to help cool the surface of the roof, but that's not even an issue with this type of roof surface. 
Right. Yeah, that's a great question. We're yeah. talking about airflow of the attic cavity. The airflow of the attic cavity is based on the ventilation. So it's the intakes that usually come up from your uh, soffits and then the exhaust that typically comes out of the ridge. So that's how the air will move through your attic cavity. When we put steel on top of the roof, think of it this. Now, instead of shingles as being exposed to the elements, the shingles is the underlayment. That's it. The shingles is an added layer of protection if water got through. Now, I got a, a just a kind of a technical question. I'm trying to think of how you do this. Now, you you leave the existing roof in place. You put these battens down, so you're raising everything by two inches. Then you got the steel roofing. What do you do with your roof vents? Do you have like a special roof vent, like an, a special extendo vent that sticks <laughs> up above? Question. How does that work? No, that's, that's an awesome question. And for clarification, we can install the steel two ways. We do a direct deck with no battens. If it's like a 612 or lower, if it's a steeper roof, we always go battens. Or if the customer has decking issues of sagability and they need more support. To go back to your question, we cut open the ridge. We remove all the box vents. Okay. So now we put a ridge vent in Mm -hmm. and then our caps on top. So now all of the air is coming out of your ridge. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Cosmetically, how do you make it look? good on the gable ends and these you've got these gaps now that weren't there how do you make that cosmetically yeah that's a great question we have rake edge caps think about a tile roof how you have specialty pieces called rakes that go up so that's what we put on okay and you can walk on this metal roof just like you could walk on shingles ours you can not other people's. So what's different about ours, yeah, is we actually put a styrofoam backing underneath the metal. So there's no airflow. There's no gap. So other metal roofs, if there's if there's a gap in between the in between, you know, whatever the shingles on the top, you will dent it. I can almost guarantee it. Even though it's 26 gauge steel over a four foot span of air, like a hundred pounds could dent it. So we put styrofoam backing in there. You can you can be 300 pounds, 500 pounds. Actually, I don't know if a 500 pound person should walk on it, but you can be really heavy and, <laughs> and avoid that. Okay. Back to solar. What happens when you're taking in more energy than you're using? What, yeah. what is my meter doing? Right. So that's called a net meter agreement. So not all power companies have a net meter agreement, but some power companies that do like Excel, Excel does here, at least they probably do in Minnesota. Think of it this way. Your solar, your PV system, photovoltaic produces during the day. And it optimizes production at a certain time of the day, right? And then it has like a minimizing production. At night, it doesn't produce. So what happens is you overproduce during the day and you send energy back to the grid. And then they stack these credits for you. And they say, okay, Ruben, your house overproduced by X amount of kilowatts per this day. And then when Ruben turn, has his hot tub going all night long, <laughs> he can pull that energy back off the grid at night for his credits to offset energy. When we put a battery in, so what's cool is we can we can play a couple things with a battery. So you overproduce during the day, and then you may fill the battery until the battery's full. And then when the battery's full, then you can send back to the grid for recs. And and remember those peak hours that we talked about in Colorado from two to eight. Well, if the sun sets at six, technically the last two hours of the peak hours is really expensive energy. So instead of pulling off the grid for the really expensive hours, you could just pull off a small battery. That is your energy. You produced it. It costs you nothing. And then pull the rest off the grid when it's cheap. 
So we kind of go through this little exercise, one of their azimuth of their house, how much of the south facing slope do they have to like, how much capability can we produce on their roof? Three is like, do we use a battery now to use a battery to make it the most cost effective? When we put all that stuff in an algorithm, we tell you the recommendation of your solar project. Now, presumably this is all modeled out. They know how many kilowatts you can capture if it's overcast versus if it's full on sun and all of this, this can be modeled to really dial it in. As, as well as you can tell the future, yes. So for example, in, you know, Colorado sometimes has forest fires during the high producing months. California does, uh, Nevada does. When they've had these record fires, every single system underproduced. Mm-hmm. Most, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Most underproduced out of our hands. Nobody yeah. can predict. You had to pull off the grid. What about, so. what about during like heavy snowstorms, long periods of really cloudy weather? What about stuff like that? Right. Yeah, you're not going to produce that much. Okay. Or it's sorry, I shouldn't say that. It's going to affect production. Okay. Yes. And yes. that's where you need the combo green energy sources of wind or something else that can, you know, fill in the gaps when the sun's not shining. Yes. We don't have a wind residential component yet, but definitely wind for the grid. So Excel Energy's made a commitment to be 80% renewable by 2030 and 100% by 2050. And it's through solar, wind, hydro. I think those are the the three main components. We do have natural gas generator option on the residential level, but now we're starting to see issues of natural gas actually going up too. Well, and that's not exactly something you can fire up on at a moment's notice and get the natural gas component going because we're in a long stretch of overcast weather. So if we do a natural gas generator, a PV system and a battery, right, then they can actually communicate with one another of when to turn which one on to fill the battery, pull off the battery at certain times of the day. The natural gas is specific to the resident. Yeah. Generac is a big manufacturer of natural gas generators. I think there's other ones like Ventana. There's Yep. And and natural gas generators too can also help with like Main Street commercial. When you have that demand charge, you're trying to knock down, you got to figure out how to get that demand charge. Mm -hmm. So through automation, multiple resources of energy production. I think the future of houses too, it's not just necessarily even like trying to, you know, supplement like solar with wind. It's just building a more energy efficient house in the first place, zero energy houses and, you know, houses that are really energy efficient that don't need that much. That's the future. But I know we have to wrap up soon, but I was just going to ask you real quick, Jeremiah, if you've seen like, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the industry over the last few years that you've been involved with it? So from the government to energy providers, they're trying to, they're trying to push for renewable energy. They are. The average consumer is a little bit slower in adopting and and buying into what it is. We've seen prices suppress quite a bit to where right now, like get, get a couple quotes, check it out, just see if it's a viable option, but it shouldn't cost you any money out of pocket and it should be pretty dang close to your energy bill. We're going to start to see roll-ups happen where large companies, maybe Sunrun, SunPower, et cetera, are starting to buy other companies up. And at really good multipliers, because I think there's there's going to be some regulation that's coming down the pipe on solar. We're starting to see in California already now. Where I don't know if this passed or not, but there's a tax liability now for anybody who gets solar because there's there's this thing called the energy death spiral. When you have ten houses on a block and set seven, eight have solar, then then the last two to three homes on the block, energy is so much more expensive. So now legislation is trying to create a tax for those who are getting solar to offset some of the costs of the people who haven't gotten solar yet. What? 
Uh, yeah. So backwards. Yeah. I don't know if it passed or not, but I saw, I was talking to some buddies out there. Right. So, so they're trying to figure out what this looks like. The EV chart, the EV coming down the pipe is going to be a big one. That's going to change how a lot of this is, is going to be pulled off the grid and the capability of it. So there's going to be more regulation that's going to be happening right now on your energy production. So that's why I tell people like, Hey, if you're ever interested now, like just send me your energy bill, just get it. I don't care. I don't care how much it costs. We'll figure it out. Just send it to me. I'm going to get you installed now so you can own it before this regulation happens. And then it's not even an option anymore. So now's the time to get in, right? If you're a homeowner. Yeah. Yeah. Send it. Just email me your bill. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremiah, can we go back to the kind of interconnectivity that you talked about on that commercial grid? I immediately thought of the internet of things, right? Like, does this fall underneath that umbrella of a description? All of these mechanical devices being networked through some smart controller that tells the dominoes when to start tipping in terms of energy production or or restriction. So are you referring to what I talked about earlier? It's this product called Janet or the energy or demand reduction? Yes. Yeah. 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 So you, there's this, thing, I think it's called energy arbitrage. And you may have seen some of this ha- on the news where large department stores like Walmarts, Targets, Ikeas, they're going to start putting solar on top of their buildings to then disperse energy to local homes around the neighborhood. Yes. Yes. So you're going to start to see inventive ways of getting energy distribution cost effectively right out there. Again, that's going to come with some regulation, stuff like that. I hope that I hope that they focus on demand reduction before a larger production and distribution. Because if you don't do the demand reduction, even at the granular level, it's like, what are are we really fixing? We're putting like we're we're turning on the heat with our car windows down. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Ultimately, at least what Janet does is when you put Janet on like three, four buildings together, they can actually communicate with one another. Yeah. So, and that's part of the concept of energy arbitrage that's coming down the road. This has to be thought out in in different ways. You have to reduce the load you're using where you can. Yes. You you have to figure out how to fill in the gaps with with other green when one's not available. But then there's this concept. I love Bitcoin and I've been doing a lot of research on Bitcoin and they're talking about how Bitcoin be- can actually become part of the energy grid by using excess energy that would otherwise not go to production. They could ramp up when there's excess energy and shut down from two to eight because we don't want them sucking up energy, their, their modules, right? So balancing out who uses what and when is also going to be a big part of this equation. Yes, absolutely. I think as it fully develops, there's going to be a better cohesiveness of community. And when they start looking at energy as a finite resource, then it's going to develop a, a more cohesive community and we're going to communicate, right? It's going to be a beautiful thing. That's it is going to be a beautiful thing. And it's going to be the most logical thing of all time. And it, it just, there won't be no emotion. It's just, that makes sense to do that. Then it makes sense to do that. And everybody's going to win. And I I can't wait. Like the smartest people in the world are going to be working on these kinds of things. And I think it's just going to be awesome. Yes, sir. You'll see us out there. See, that's what I said. The smartest people in the world are going to be working on it. <laughs> no, it's not me. It's, it's my guys. <laughs> yeah. Jeremiah, do you look at every single house as a mini power plant? 
So no. And here's the thing. A lot of people ask me, how much money can I make by putting solar on? I go, none. <laughs> don't, don't look at it that way. I'm like, think about it this way. What you buy energy for from the power company, they're sure as heck not going to sell it back to you at that rate. Right? If anything, it's like half or a third. Mm-hmm. So it's not, don't think about it as you're going to make, those days are gone. Those days are gone. But you know, if you're sick of renting and you want to own, because two things I think about one is if I lock you in at a hundred bucks a month right now to own your own energy, not only are you you able to combat against rising energy costs, maybe Excel if they want to start charging more, more, but also inflation. I mean, we can all probably agree inflation's like not going negative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's definitely not going away. And it's probably more, we're probably seeing more of it now than we ever have before. So locking on an asset that you're going to need, which is production of your own energy, because you're probably going to use electricity to come, like we haven't figured out a way to not use electricity yet. Locking on that asset now and protect yourself against some of these outside liars. Its own power plant, you know, I think in producing energy, then to sell off and monetize others won't happen. But if they're educated in being protected against the prices or feeling helpless, that is real. That's, that is really where we're going. And that is the sense of cohesive community. Outstanding. Jeremiah, where can people find you? Just go ahead and plug your business right now. Cause I'm sure there you're going to get 50 or 60 people who know yeah. Minnesota <laughs> that you can't help. I'm going to come to Minnesota. I'm going to come to Minnesota and bring my cruise and we're going to go install a gigawatt. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Ruben, we'll do a barbecue at your place. We'll just, we'll start there at your house. My house first. Thank you. My parents Thanks. are there. I actually got energy bills when I was in Minnesota. So it's, it's energy advantage roofing. So yourenergyadvantage.com. Uh, and if you want to text me or if you have questions, if somebody's like really interested, you're checking out a home, whatever, 303-917-5765, 303-917-5765. And it's Jeremiah, Your Energy Advantage. Awesome. Thank you, Jeremiah, for your time. This is a, it's a great conversation and it feels like we need several more conversations just to really begin to educate people on this. It's, it's just scratching the surface. So I love you so much. Thank you for having me guys. Thanks, Jeremiah. We really appreciate you giving us some time today. And I want to thank everybody out there who's listening. You've been listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Have a great week. For more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech1.com.